Morning, everyone. Just want to thank the Lord for all those who were baptized yesterday. We had nine that were baptized and uh, new believers. And, and we just uh, thank the Lord for the good weather. We're going to be looking at a redo with Jesus, or I call it a makeover. This is part three. We're going to pray. Father, we just ask for uh, your anointing today. Just ask that your word will have a free course, free reign to do what you want to do. And we just, uh, Father, I just ask for your, your help this morning, the anointing of your spirit. That I'll speak those words that will go to the very depths of the soul, that will bring about transformation uh, for the furtherance of your kingdom. And so, Father, we just thank you. We just praise your mighty name today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. just want to start out with a, a story uh, about uh, in Europe, they have these huge cathedrals. Uh, I lived there for a year and a half in Europe, you know, Switzerland, France, and different parts of uh, uh, Europe, and I saw, I had a chance to visit uh, these cathedrals. And there was one there, this goes back, I think, to the 19th century. And it was this fan, this man, he came in, he looked pretty, not very well dressed or anything, and he wanted to go into this cathedral. And he wanted to, he wanted to go up to the organ. They had these immense organs. I don't know if you've ever seen them before. Some of them are huge. And uh, he asked the custodian there, look, can I just go sit up there? And Well, not really, but... But he insisted, so he finally got up, he sat there, then, uh, and next thing you know, he, he slid off the, uh, the, the organ bench, he slid onto it, and then he, uh, he started playing. And the custodian that was in charge of the building couldn't get over the music. It was the most beautiful, wonderful music he had ever heard from in, that, in that cathedral. Just tremendous music and the talent and the skill of this person. And so the, this, this man who was playing, he got down and he was ready to go out. And then he asked him, he says, well, well, what's your name? He says, my name is Mendelssohn, Felix Mendelssohn. He was one of the greatest organists and composers of the 19th century. And they, the custodian said to himself, I said, do you think that I almost stopped the master from playing you know, in this cathedral, the beautiful music? And uh, what we do in ourselves, we stop the master, Jesus, from living his life out through us many times. And Jesus wants to take control of your life and live his life out through you. And we stop him from doing that often, you know. So let's not keep him from playing his music through our lives. And so many times, and I think in our own life, we prevent the master from doing what he would like to do. And uh, see, you and I, man inherently doesn't want God to rule in their life. That's the bottom line. It says in Romans, no one seeks after God. No, not one. There's none righteous, no, not one. And so in history, 
of Israel in 1 Samuel, uh, it was more a theocracy than the people wanted to, to have a king like the other nations. In 1 uh, Samuel 8, 5, it says this, And he said to him, Look, you are old, your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. So the people of Israel, they wanted to throw off God guiding them. They wanted to have a king like the other nations. And they, didn't, they didn't want God to rule. They wanted man to rule. So they wanted their own way without God. And that's what we're seeing in our society today. Uh, I don't know if you notice it. There's a, there's a real breakdown in North American society. After you do is look at the rioting in the streets and things such as this, everybody demanding their rights. Uh, they, they don't want God. They want to have their own way. They want to do what their own thing. And it says in Lamentations 3.22, says, Through the Lord's mercies we're not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That was Jeremiah who penned those words with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, what we're seeing in North America right now is there's a throwing out of God. They don't want God. They, I don't know if you notice in the States, or they're cutting up statues in front of churches and things such as this now. And uh, uh, they're actually closing thousands of churches every year in North America. Uh, I just heard recently probably maybe up to 14,000 churches will be closed. And of course, with COVID-19, some are closing. They, they couldn't relate or uh, couldn't adapt to going online or anything. And so uh, communism has invaded North America. I saw it back when I was at university in uh, Montreal. I even had a Russian professor, the Russian professor with my social psychology class and I would confront him in front of the other class with some of the things he was teaching. And uh, basically is that uh, uh, they, don't, they don't want the Soviet or the communistic system doesn't want God in the, the framework of a nation or anything. They want to rule without God. And in 1934, there was a KGB, which is an agent who was a Secret Service member Agent Yuri Bezmenov, he defected from the Soviet Union and he escaped to Canada and he basically revealed some of the plans that the communistic system had. You can look it up on the internet, uh, a communist uh, agenda. I think there's 45 things uh, that they wanted to do because they said, well, we, couldn't, we can't beat America you know, with our weapons and that, but we'll do another way. We'll just give... A uh, small piece. I think it was Khrushchev who said it. Said the the American people will not take communism like this, but we'll just give it to them in small doses. So they get into the education system, and they said if we can't convert the the professors, then what we'll do then we'll we'll uh, work on the students who would become the professors later on. So a, a lot of is very in a lot of the colleges and universities today. It's a lot of a left wing uh, what I call. Uh, uh, teachings and things. Uh, and so, uh, but even the Soviet Union, they tried for decades to keep the gospel out. They did. They, matter of fact, people were imprisoned, killed if they brought in a Bible into the, into the Soviet Union. I met one of them called Brother Andrew. He was called God's smuggler. 
And uh, he said he'd never lie. Uh, and so he had a car, and they, they, they packed a thousand Bibles into this car, you know, in the framework and things like this, you know. And uh, he came up to the border guard and uh, says, you, do you, they asked him about Bibles. He said, do you have any? Yeah, I've got a thousand Bibles. And they just laughed at him because he had it all hidden in the car. They let him on through. And I did meet some of the people after the Soviet Union fell. I met some of the people that were involved in the, in the distribution of Bibles in Russia. I met them in Moscow. And uh, I went into one of the apartments. There was loaded with Bibles. So, uh, and I, then, of course, then I had the, had the opportunity in Moscow, to, after the wall fell, I met the vice chairman of the KGB, uh, Nikolai Stalyarov, who was appointed by Yeltsin to take the, to sort of humanize, I guess, the KGB a little bit. And uh, he was a believer. I met his son, who was a MiG pilot. They spoke English. I had a chance to talk with him. Then at my church in Ottawa, I had... Uh, Major General Viktor Andriyev. He was one of the top generals when Russia was in Afghanistan. And he was a believer. I got pictures of him and me together. And Pastor Carter, he's, a, he's pinning some medals, medallions on us. And he was a believer. So you could have a nation try to keep God out and try to quash God. It doesn't go well. And I saw the stores in the Soviet Union uh, uh, right after the wall fell. You go into a store, there's nothing there. Nothing. It was bare if they had anything at all. Uh, if you wanted to get gas uh, at that time, you would, if you wanted to get, uh, was it, I think it was 30 liters of gas, you have to wait three hours in line to get it. And you wait in line three hours to get 30 liters of gas. It was quite incredible. I went to one of the churches they had there. They found a, uh, a pastor, 22 years of age, and he had a, a church there of 2,500 people. And... Guess how many cars were in front of the church? They ran, I ran the building. There was three, and I was in one of them. And I, I didn't think I was going to get there. That car was pretty rickety. You know, you're, you're seeing the road go by under your feet. There were the holes in there. It was, uh, that, that's the result of that system. They try to keep God out. And where you have God uh, you know, in charge, no blessings will follow. And uh, right now we're seeing chaos. See, God is always trying to draw you to himself. That's what he's trying to do. Man resists. And it says, here's Jesus in Luke 13, 34. It says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets, stone those sent to you. How often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers his chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. So that shows you the desire of God he wants he wants to take care of his people, guide them, direct them. Because man with, without God will just go his own way and gets his life in a mess, basically. And so God wants to bring about a redo in your life. He wants to give you a makeover. You've heard, you've seen that on TV, makeovers. You know, and they see somebody coming in pretty rickety looking and they, they give them a uh, give them a makeover and more makeup and they get rid of the wrinkles and change the hair color and they get a makeover. You know, and uh, see, God wants to give you a makeover on the inside. You know, he wants to bring lasting change. Now, here's what Tozer says. He says this, A.W. Tozer. says, there are many compelling lessons to be drawn from the scriptures and one of the clearest is that sinful and rebellious people can never be forced into repentance. 
You can't force anybody to change. There's got to be willingness to the person. Then he goes on to say, he says, how desperately we would like to believe that in the face of coming judgment, all lost men and women will cry out to God, but such will not be the case. Uh, and of course, uh, if you look at Revelations chapter 9, or Revelation 16, uh, God was trying to get their attention by bringing judgments on the land. But here's what it says. See, the rest of mankind, they were not killed by these plagues. COVID-19 is a plague, basically. And they still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. And of course, we've, sent, we've seen, you've probably seen stories of the, the COVID-19 parties. You've seen those? Where they'll have a party, they put a bunch of money in the pot, and then uh, they have a party, and then the first one that gets COVID-19 wins the money in the pot. That's, that's saw those stories there. They're just uh, totally oblivious to God, totally anti-God. Uh, I remember, um, I remember 9/11. You know where the twin towers crashed? I had my, I got pictures of my sons there with the, the, the towers in the background when they were still standing up when we were in New York City. And uh, and after they fell, uh, they crashed. Uh, the churches were loaded right up. They had tremendous attendance at churches after that. And then that lasted just for a few months. And after that, there was few people, fewer people going to church than there was than prior to 9-11. So uh, it doesn't matter what happens. Man basically doesn't want to follow God. That's a, that's a, that's a given. And that's what the Bible teaches. And so here it is, Israel. They wanted to have a king like the other nations. They didn't want God to be through the prophets direct them and guiding them. And so in 1 Samuel 9, uh, the Saul was going to be chosen. It said there was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Azaror, and the son of Barakrath, and the son of uh, Aphia, of Benjamin. And he had a, a son named Saul, King Saul, an impressive young man, without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the others. Hey, that's going to be their king. This huge guy, impressive. More impressive than the others. So you want a king? Here he is, Saul. And so that sort of description would sort of fit the desire of what the people wanted. They wanted a king. Well, they got one. And in 1 Samuel 9, 3, uh, the story goes on. It says, in, it says, Now the donkeys belonging to Saul's father, Kish, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, Take one of your servants with you, and go and look for the donkey. So here's Saul given a task to do. Doesn't seem like much of a task. Hey, go look for donkeys. You know, uh, doesn't seem like much. And then in verse uh, 20, it says, uh, it goes further on. It says, as for the donkeys you lost uh, three days ago, don't worry about them. They've been found. And to whom is all the desire of Israel turned, if not to you and all your father's family? And then Saul answered, but I'm not a Benjamite, but the smallest tribe of Israel. And is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? And uh, so first of all, get this in mind. He was asked to go out to uh, look for lost donkeys. 
And in verse 10, he's being anointed to be king. In uh, 1 Samuel 10, 1. So then Samuel took a flask of oil, poured it on Saul's head, and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you leader over his inheritance? So here he was. He's going out sort of a menial task to find donkeys. And he ends up further on down the line, be anointed king. I think there's a principle in here that sometimes we're doing, like considering from our perspective, a small task, a small job or whatever it might be. But that can lead to greater things. So here he was told to go look for donkeys. He ends up being anointed king. You know, in, in that search, that's how it started. So evaluate all circumstances all circumstances as possible divine appointments. As possible divine appointments. You never know how it's going to work. Sometimes, uh, just if you look back in your life, how just a turn of events changed your whole life. I just, uh, I give an example. Uh, I was with the Full Gospel Businessmen, which was a Christian businessman's organization, and I was uh, leading worship with the guitar in, I think it was Brockville at this time, Ontario. And, uh, and the guest speaker, whom I never met before, was Carter Conlon, whom you know, some of you know. And then, uh, then another time I was leading worship in Cornwall, Ontario, who was the guest speaker? Carter Conlon, who ended up being pastor of Times Square Church, 8,000 people. And, uh, and then he was in prayer now, this is prior to him being a pastor. He, he was a police officer at the time, but he was a speaker where I was leading in worship. And then God was calling him to start a church outside of Ottawa. And while in prayer, uh, we'd only met twice. He, uh, and I've been, I was leaving my teaching position to go to four possible places, uh, either uh, to go to Switzerland to lead teams into Africa to go to a Bible school in Belgium to do the counseling course with Youth of the Mission. And I had some options there. And so here I'm quitting my... I didn't have any peace about it. Then out of the blue, I get a call from Pastor Conlon. He says, you're the only name I get to come and work with me with the church here in Ottawa. So this... Here's, it seems like a small meeting. I'm just... I met him twice. Not, no big event. Then I get a call from him to go work with the church. And I've been in the church uh, scene ever since. From just a, it seemed like a chance meeting, but it wasn't. So sometimes small circumstances can lead to bigger things. And of course, through that, I ended up speaking at the United Nations twice, going to Russia, Kazakhstan, and all these things that uh, I would never have had an opportunity to do if I had to stay with my teaching profession. So God has his purposes in a lot of things. And here was Saul... One of his purposes was to go find some donkeys, and he ended up being anointed king in that process. That's how it started. Now, I want to talk about rebellion, because Saul, he's an example of rebellion in the Bible. I don't have time to go into depth. I'll just do some uh, cursory things. Uh, rebellion will not wait on God's timing. Rebellion will not wait on God's timing. And so... Uh, and, of course, the attitude towards authority, you know, God tells us to be, you know, in submission to authority. Samuel was Saul's authority, and uh, he didn't listen the way he should have. And then in 1 Samuel 13, 
they were, they were uh, Saul, they have the, the armies, a conflict coming on now. Samuel, I think it was in 1 Samuel 10, verse 8, around there, so he told them to wait seven days until he came before they have this conflict. And so some Hebrews, they crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead, and Saul remained to Gilgal, and all the troops with him, they were quaking with fear. They're going into battle. And so he waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. Remember, he was told to wait. Uh, sometimes when you wait uh, seven days, it could be at the very last minute. And that's when you have to, when things come. And so verse 9, he says, he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering, something he was not supposed to do or ordained to do. And says, what have you done? Asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and you did not come at the set time, that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, okay, I thought, how many of you have ever been in that position? I, I, I think this would be, you know, you, you get your thoughts in there and it's not God's thoughts. He says, I thought now the Philistines would come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favor, so I compelled, I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. So he should have waited for directions from the Lord through Samuel. You know, uh, but in his self-will, self-will, he proceeded to act independently of God, doing something spiritual, you know. And so through it all, he lost the kingdom through impatience. How many of you know God has a timing for everything? How many things we want things done right away? No, we want the microwave. No, we don't want the, the crock pot approach, you know? You know, I don't like food in the microwave. It's, you ever, it's, a lot of it doesn't taste very good. Sometimes you put meat in there, it tastes pretty rubbery, you know? And, uh, but you have it in a crock pot for 10 hours or whatever. Mine, that just tough meat we just falls apart and the taste is something else, you know? And so, uh, See, people today, they want microwave Christianity, not crockpot in Christianity. Yeah? And it says here, in 1 Samuel 13, 13, it says, You acted foolishly, Samuel said. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. Verse 14, But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So basically, he, he cast off God's sovereignty. That's what he did. And, uh, and so a rebellious person, listen to me now, will be characterized by failure to listen to advice and counsel from somebody else, especially those in authority. You know, and uh, so they go off into independent authority, and they even despise authority. I've heard people in, in the church setting, Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And you see their life down the road. It's, nobody's telling them what to do, but they made a mess of it all. And uh, see, God's desire is to bless. That's, that's what he wants to do. And uh, one thing I found over the years is that it never goes well for a rebel. And we're, we're seeing rebellion south of the border. It's incredible. Where they almost destroyed a whole sector of a city in Minneapolis and in Seattle, they set up their own country. They called it Chaz. Now, they said there's six-block area. 
And they kicked everybody out. And the mayor even gave an approval. Oh, it's a love fest. Until several people got killed. You know, and then she wanted the police back in there. You know, and then a big push now to defund the police. Why would you want to do that when it says in Jeremiah 17, 9 that, that the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things? And it's... Uh, and that's what they want to do in New York, defund the police a, million, a billion dollars or something like that. Now, now their shootings are going through the roof and things such as that. That's, see, and, until Christ comes in and changes the heart, it'll be in rebellion against God. and It'll be wicked and deceitful above all things that'll be coming out. And so rebellion basically is a rejection of authority. You want to do your own thing your own way without anybody telling you how to do it. See, in Psalm 68.6, I think it's on the screen, it says this, God setteth the solitary in families. He brings out those which are bound with chains, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. You know, I've been in a dry land. I saw the famine. I lived in Africa when there was a famine going on. I saw the lakes, no water in them. I saw the streams, no water in them, just dust. You have dust in your hair. You'd be or- this orangey-like color from the Sahara uh, uh, so that's the rebellious will dwell in a dry land no life, no joy, no peace uh, there's nothing there and so and God can't bless those that are in rebellion it, it pushes away uh, the blessings of God so there's no joy for a rebel that's uh, one thing we notice here and so what happens when they walk out from under the authority of God and they go their own way without God, uh, what happens, they, they take away the protection. The authority is there for your protection. You can see that in uh, Romans chapter 13. It talks about the protection that God has. You know, the police, government, things such as that. Uh, and so what happens when you walk out from under authority, uh, then you take away the protection that's there. So Saul lost his kingdom. I've seen many young people uh, rebel against the authority of parents. Have you ever seen that? You've probably seen that. Where uh, young people, they go against the authority of the parents. Young people, listen to me. There's some here, young people today. Uh, young persons, anybody under 90. So that includes everybody. <laughs> Here's what it says in Ephesians. Young people, listen to me. Children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And verse 2, it says, Ephesians 6, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, and here's the promise, that it may go well with you, that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So if you want it to go well with you, walk under the authority of your parents. I see that. I taught school for 18 years, grade 8. You know, those 13, 14, some 15-year-olds, that's where they're totally obedient and submissive and malleable. No, <laughs> just the opposite. They want to go their own way. And, uh, and you see the mess they get their lives into down the road. You know, uh, I remember, uh, like when I taught school, I wasn't allowed to preach the gospel or like this, but what I did, I shared principles. I said, this one young lady having a real rough time. Uh, she was having problems with her parents. I said, look, if you want it to go well for you, you got to forgive your parents. You better do that or it won't go well. She just broke into tears. I didn't share the Bible. I just shared the principle. 
because I didn't want to be called into the office by the principal. You know, so. And uh, you just see so many youth today, they, they go off the rails because they don't listen to the parents. You know, and uh, another point is rebellion will not completely obey. People walking with their belly and spirit, they won't completely obey. They're partially obey, but not completely. 1 Samuel 15, 1. Samuel said to Saul, I'm the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people, Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. And this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel uh, when they waylaid them as they came from Egypt. Go now attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything. That was the command. Totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men, women, children, and infants, cattle, sheep, camels, donkeys, everything. Verse 9. But Saul and the army spared Agag. First thing he did, he's supposed to be eliminated. And the best of the sheep and the cattle. The fat calves, the lambs, and everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely. But everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Did he obey? No. Here's what Spurgeon says. He says, that was half obedience, which is whole rebellion. Many are ready to slay their disreputable sins, but their fashionable sins they cannot give up. So this was just partial obedience. And that's what rebellion does. It won't completely obey. Another thing, too, is that rebellion produces a spiritual blindness. 1 Samuel 15, 13. And when Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. So here's Saul saying, I've carried out the Lord's instructions. When it's obvious that he didn't. So there was a blindness that comes in. And, uh, and that's what I've noticed over the years, that those that walk in rebellion, there's a spiritual blindness that comes in. And of course, it's blinded by uh, partial and delusive self-love. Self is right at the heart of it all. And self was on the throne in Saul's life, not God. Self was reigning. What I can get, it's me, it's all about me. And we live in a me generation now. And of course, we see this in 1 Samuel 15, 12. Should be there. It says, uh, early in the morning, Samuel got up, went to meet Saul. But he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument, what? In his own honor. And has turned and gone down to Gilgal. So what did Saul do? Have a monument built to his own honor. He was totally self-focused. Now, I can go deeper in that because the whole lesson's in there. Uh, but rebellion will be self-focused because rebellion says, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. Nobody's going to tell me nothing. And uh, so he set it up not to God's honor, but to his honor uh, and his own praise. And so what happens? He was self-deceived. And that's what rebellion does. And self-deception is a major part of what defeats, you know, spiritual formation of Christ in us is, uh, is this self-deception. And, and, of course, the further result is that they, they, they say they believe and intend and want and it's not born out in their life. They say they believe, the rebellious people, 
But you look at their life, say, holy my, that's, that's Christian living. I don't want anything to do with that. It, it doesn't show in their life. You know, I, I've seen peop, uh, people, that they're, they're living, uh, they say they're believers, and, uh, and yet they're shacked up with people in, in fornication. They say they're believers. It's, the Bible clearly teaches that you're living that lifestyle, you don't inherit the kingdom of God. But they say to the believer, and other people see that, and they get deceived by that. Well, that's Christian. Well, that's good. I'll, that's pretty good. I'll join in. The, and it gets other people in deception. And so Augustine, what he said is that self-deception was viewed as a, divisa, a division in the will. The will is the one that decides what they're going to do. The will. It says the will is divided. Now, deception, in the Greek, it's uh, planeo, which means to go astray. It means to get off course, to deviate from the correct path. It means roaming into error and wandering off. I've seen many in the church over the years, they just wander off. They're, they're off in the wilderness somewhere because they're, they're, they're deceived and they, they've been walking in rebellion. And, uh, and of course... And there, here's another thing I noticed of the, the rebellious people. They always find a way to attack the messenger who's bringing the word. They, they'll try to find fault with the messenger because they find fault with the messenger. Well, I don't have to believe that. I can do what I want type of thing. That's, I've seen that over the year too. Now, a, a rebellion will blame others and make excuses. Uh, 1 Samuel 15, 14 says, But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle are they here? Look at verse 15. I think it's there. And it says, uh, Saul answered, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. Okay, so here's, here's Saul. He's saying, well, here's what the soldiers did. They, they brought them from the Amalekites and they spared the best of the sheep. So he didn't point to himself. You know, so he was in charge of them. So he blamed them. Uh, and the best of the sheep and cattle, the sacrifice to the Lord your God. Now he's spiritualizing it. They were told to kill everything. They said, no, no, we, we, uh, the soldiers, they spared the best to sacrifice. Oh, that's a nice spiritual thing to do, sacrifice unto God. See that? That's how deceptive it is. And then, uh, <clears throat> then, then he says, he said, we'll, we'll sacrifice the cattle uh, to sacrifice to the Lord your God. He didn't say my God. And then, then it says uh, here that, uh, verse 15, and it says, but we totally destroyed the, the rest. See how he's putting, well, we destroyed the rest, which we were supposed to do. So he sort of put the focus of the blame on the soldiers. Well, they, they spared them, but he didn't put his name in it. See, that's how deceitful and deceptive it is. They blame others and make excuses. And then they spiritualize the rebellion by saying, well, we're sacrificing to God. That's a good thing to do. They spiritualize it. And so in 1 Samuel 15, 20, but I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission. The Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag their king. So deception, self-deception. And then Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. 
and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Then in 1 Samuel 15, 23, it says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is iniquity and idolatry. See, witchcraft, what happens when you get into rebellion, you'll go into uh, what I call the occult, which involves witchcraft and all sorts of other things. I've seen that happen. People in, in rebellion, they get into all sorts of occultic things that are totally opposed to God. And uh, it says, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also rejected you from being king. See, so Saul had this external religion. It was externalized, making sacrifices and things such as that. And, but the inward working of God in his life was not there. Saul was self-focused. Look what I've done. Look what I'm doing. I'm sacrificing these things, uh, you know, to the Lord. Because he's using those things that were supposed to have been destroyed. So Samuel's life didn't end well. Uh, I could do probably a whole two-month series just on Samuel. He ended up consulting a sorcerer. And he ended up jumping on his own sword. That was his end. Doesn't well, it doesn't end well for rebels. But uh, some just can't change. But there's some that do. And I have a story here. I'm going to end up with this. How a young person was in rebellion and he received the blessings of the Lord. Here's Lamentations 23, 22. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. It's only by the mercy of God that we're not consumed. You know, because his compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And so, even though there's many that don't submit, there's some that do. And in Luke 15, there, then he, this is Jesus speaking. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them to his livelihood. And not many days afterward, see, he wanted all his stuff now. Didn't want to wait. Otherwise, what he was saying, hey, I want you dead so I can get your stuff. You know, but, uh, and he says, not many days after, the, young, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. And of course, uh, he wasted everything with harlots and things such as this. And uh, he came to nothing. He was even taking care of the pigs, and he was so starved, he wanted to eat the pig's food. I don't know if you've ever been to a, in a pig farm. Uh, I used to, in my other church, I had a, a pig farmer. I used to go over there and watch them snorting around the dirt and some of the stuff they had eaten. I said, oh my goodness gracious. So I try to put that in today's perspective. Man, it's pretty, and quite the smell there. You have to, if you go in there, you got to make sure you take your clothes off and put them in the washer afterwards. That's how bad it was. But it says in verse 17, then he came to himself. He came to a realization what he was, where he was going, how he, how he was living. He had a revelation of where he was at. And he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare and I perish with hunger? Verse 18 of Luke 15, I'll arise and go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. He admitted his wrong. And 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, you know, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all 
unrighteousness. He's getting a makeover now. This is the beginning of a makeover. He's going to get redone. He blew it. How many of us have blown it in the past? How many of us have made decisions that causes problems? You know, and the heartache. And so verse 20, and he rose, he came to his father. But when he was still great far off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran towards him and fell on his neck and kissed him. He came back to the father's house. You know, could we call this, they label this called the prodigal son. It could be called also the waiting father. Waiting. You know, and then uh, in verse 24, For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be married. He got a, a new makeover, a redo with Jesus. That's what God wants for all of us, all of you. And it's there. You know, sometimes we have to come to ourselves to really realize where we're at, where we're going. And of course, when we die, we've got to make sure we're ready for God. It's appointed unto man, but to die once. After that comes judgment. And so we want to be on Christ's side, who's our advocate, who took our sin on himself and died in our place on the cross so that we and I, you and I could have eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Father, we just thank you that uh, you want to give us a makeover. You want to redo each one of us in a special way. You want us to come to you and Father, I just ask you to draw people by your Holy Spirit now. Lord, we had within us innately, there's no desire to follow you. But Father, you're, you say in your word that uh, you don't get delight in the death of the wicked. It's, you want all to be saved. That's your desire. You say it in your word. And so Father, I just ask you to draw them now by your Spirit that people come to realization where they're going, where they're headed, and that they can go to you for forgiveness of sin, for cleansing, and have a new life. And Father, we just thank you for your, your mercy, for your goodness towards us now. And so Father, I just ask you, move in a special way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you all.